here on Easter. The resurrection. And last, Saturday, last Sunday, Hunter preached on the triumphal entry. Jesus came in riding on a donkey, the foal of a donkey. And everybody was crying what? Hosanna, which means save us, please. They wanted somebody to come in and rescue them from the Romans. Because the Romans had them under their thumb. Jesus had different ideas, didn't he? He didn't come in on a war horse to make battle with the Romans. He came in on the foal of a donkey. Speaking peace. He came in to conquer, not the Romans, but to conquer sin and death forever on the cross. And then on Friday, if you were here, we had, we, we talked about the seven things that Jesus said from the cross. The next to the last one was, it is finished. There was never a need for another sacrifice to be made. You see, the Jews had come time after time after time to the temple with their, with their sacrifice. Because without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin. Even in their day, they had to sacrifice the lamb. And Jesus says, not anymore. And when he cried, it is finished, the veil in the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And access to God was open to anybody who would come to him. And Jesus died on the cross. And it says that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, two of the Pharisees, they went and requested his body. And they took him and Joseph had carved out, he was a rich man. He had carved out his own tomb there nearby Golgotha. And he said, I'm going to put him in my tomb. And they put him in the tomb and they wrapped him in the grave clothes. And it says that Nicodemus bought, brought some, uh, some embalming spices and they wrapped all that together and they laid him in that tomb and then they rolled the stone away. They rolled it in front of the tomb. And to make things even more secure, the Pharisees said, oh, you know, those nasty old disciples, they're going to come try to steal the body. So they put a Roman guard and they sealed the tomb. Now if you broke the seal of the Roman government, it was death. And they put, put those Roman soldiers in front of it to make sure that nothing happened to Jesus. But guess what? Even those Roman soldiers couldn't keep Jesus in the grave. Even the, even the seal of the Roman government couldn't keep Jesus in the grave. And that Sunday morning, the, it says the first day of the week. Do you realize that we actually run our calendar by the fact that Jesus rose from the dead? Sunday is, we call it the weekend, but what is it? Look on your calendar. It's the first day of the week. And on the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the grave. And John 20, 
And I'm just going to read this. This is one account. All four of the Gospels give an accounting of the resurrection. And this is John's. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. You know, I kind of, <coughs> these two are so competitive, I, I kind of picture this in my mind. John gets there first, and he's looking in the tomb, and here comes Peter, and he's like sliding into second, stealing the base. He just slides into the tomb, and he right under, right under John's arm as he's looking in. That's Peter for you. And Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb and saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And so the other disciple, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed for as yet they had not, did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And so the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside of the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which is, means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say this to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. Oh, what a wonderful narrative we have and if you look through the the other gospels you'll see the same record with different people who interacted with Jesus 
Now, I have had the opportunity in my career as a police officer to literally interview thousands of eyewitnesses. And every account's interesting because they're looking at it from their own viewpoint. Oh, what I would give to go back to that Sunday morning and talk to the Roman soldier. What do you mean? Something came and knocked you over like you were asleep. And then you had to go lie about it. Oh, that's an IA waiting to happen. <laughs> Talking to Peter. Peter, what did you see? Well, I don't know what I saw. I, I saw the grave close there, but I'm not sure what happened. Talk to John. Ah, I believe that he's risen. I haven't seen him yet. But the one I'd most like to talk to was Mary. Mary had been to the grave. She had talked to angels. Wait a second, let me get that right. Would you describe these angels for me? They, they were in white? And they said, what? Who do you seek? And then she turned around. So filled with grief that her eyes, that her, the tears were flooding down through her eyes. She couldn't recognize Jesus. Have you ever been there? You ever been at the place where your grief is so strong over the loss of somebody? I want you to remember who Mary is. She had had seven demons. And Jesus had taken those seven demons out. She knew who Jesus was, but she couldn't see because of the tears in her eyes. And she, she said, if you've taken him away. And then, what did he do? He spoke her name. Mary. Oh, she could never forget her name being called. Because when the Savior calls your name, you don't forget that. She said, teacher. Teacher. Oh, wow. What I'd love to write that down in, and in... 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that he appeared to all the twelve, and, and we heard about that in the song this morning, as Jesus came through into the locked room where they were hiding, and he appeared to them. And poor old Thomas missed the show. I don't know where Thomas was when Jesus came in the room, but when he came later, he said, put your hand right here. Put your hand in the scars. And then he appeared to over 500 in the 40 days that he was on earth. 500 eyewitnesses. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul lays out a wonderful treatise on the resurrection because the reality is what? If all Jesus did was die... Where would we be? We'd be lost. We wouldn't have any hope. It would be just like any other. You, you can go to the tomb of Muhammad. He's still in there. You can go to the tomb of Buddha. He's still in there. 
But you go to the tomb of Jesus and what? It's empty. The resurrection is the key to the gospel. Yes, Jesus had to die on the cross to carry for our sins. But if he didn't raise from the dead, what hope do we have? The resurrection is key. In 1 Corinthians 15, the entire chapter, Paul talks about the resurrection. Now, I'm not going to do the entire chapter. And everybody goes, thank goodness, because the ham would burn. We're going to do, I want to do the first four verses. The first four verses of 1 Corinthians 15. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which you have also received, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered you to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve, and then it goes on. The, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is of first importance. If we don't have that, we don't have anything. If we don't have the resurrection, what are we living for? It's of first importance. What place do we put it in our life? Where, where is this? And then Paul gives us a sequence of events, a sequence that tells us how do we believe in the gospel? You see, the, a lot of people will say, well, look at the thief on the cross. Yes, absolutely. Here was a man that was sitting, hanging on the cross next to Jesus, and all he said was, remember me when you get to your kingdom. He knew enough to know that the man hanging on the cross next to him had a kingdom other than the kingdom of this world. And that's all he had to say. And Jesus said, what? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. But that's, that's an unusual occurrence. And, and God absolutely works. I've watched people that, that in, their, in their last hours have received Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I've watched as... They have literally, their countenance has changed. But for most of us, it's a process. Salvation is a process. We don't just jump up one morning and say, I want to I receive Jesus Christ. It's been a process. I know it was for me. I grew up in the church. I grew up hearing about Jesus I grew up memorizing verses. But it wasn't until I was 15 years old that the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, Brother? Well, he didn't say brother. He said, Ben, you need to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. 
You know all about him. But you haven't let it change your life. And so I want to show you what John talks about in these steps to believe in the gospel. The first thing he says, the gospel must be what? It's got to be preached. And you're like going, I like that because that's what we pay you to do, right? We pay you to get up and preach the gospel. And that's important. When, if we don't preach the gospel here at Eastside, I, there's no reason for us to show up. Because the gospel is of what? First importance. It has to be preached. As a matter of fact, in Romans 10, it says this. And how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And you're like, go ahead, preacher, do it. But it, we're all preachers, aren't we? We all need to be sharing who, the, who this Jesus is. We all need to be sharing the good news. Why would we hide good news? If you have the cure for cancer, you don't just sit, sit on your thumbs and say, oh, I don't want to tell anybody about this thing. We have the news that cures death. It has victory over death. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in the preacher's heart. Oh, wait. That's not what it says. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Always, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. You have the opportunity to preach the gospel. It first has to be preached. The second thing, it has to be received. Did you catch that in there, what Paul said? It has to be received. We have to be good receivers. How many of you ever had a little transistor radio? Now I know some of you are probably a little too young to remember, or, or you could actually buy these little kits from Radio Shack, and you could build a little transistor radio, and then you would tune it in, right? You were looking for Casey Kasem, <laughs> top 40, you know, as long as mom and daddy didn't come in. But we were, you have to tune in to the gospel. You see, I could go down and I could stand in front of City Hall and I could preach the gospel all day long. But there would be all kinds of people that would walk by and they would never stop to listen. They aren't tuned in. Their heart isn't tuned in. Matthew, in Matthew 13... Jesus talks to us a little bit about a parable of the sower. And he talks about four different people and how they received the gospel. 
And he explains it in verse 18. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whom seed has fallen beside the road. And the one in whom seed has sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself. But it's only temporary. And when the affliction or the persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom the seed is sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. And the one in whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some 100-fold, some 60, and some 30. Wow. Not everybody that hears receives. Some of them hear, and they just walk on by. Doesn't mean anything to them. Some hear, and then somebody comes along and says, You're not going to believe that foolishness, are you? What? You really think there's a heaven? You really think there's a hell? You think there's this, this guy by the name of Jesus who paid for your sins? That's foolishness. And they'll listen to that. And they'll go by the wayside, the seed won't grow. And there and there's the one who, who comes and hears the word and all of a sudden they turn around and I'm still in the same place. God didn't do anything big for me. And the devil comes and twists everything that's been said and they don't believe either. But there is one. There's the one who, who said the soil is good. They, they've, they're ready to receive it. Anybody got their garden in yet? You did. And it's gone, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I got out the other day and I got the garden bed already and I, and I even tended it. It's not ready for seeds yet. It's not warm enough. You see, it has to take, we have to receive it. We have to open our hearts we have to open our minds to Jesus Christ and let him come in. The soil has to be prepared. And that's our job, right? We live in this world, we're to be what? Salt and light. If I, had a, if I have a greenhouse and I have no light in that greenhouse, what's going to happen to my plants? Absolutely nothing. Your job is to be the light. Your job is to be the minerals that help people grow. That's our job, is to pair that soil so that when somebody does receive the gospel, they're ready. Well, the next thing that Paul says in the verses in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, the third step <coughs> is to stand in the gospel. 
stand in the gospel. That's pretty hard to do sometimes. Pretty hard to do when, when everybody around you doesn't believe. God has given me the opportunity to go into countries that are 80% Muslim. Speak to Muslim people that, that very seldom hear the gospel. But God's opened those doors. And I've watched people, it just seems like the veil falls away. And for the first time, they're able to receive the gospel. Now, when they have to stand, when they have to stand, a lot of times it means leaving their families. They'll be disowned. They may lose their job. They stand in the gospel. Standing's not an easy thing to do. In Luke, it talks about a man who built a house. And it says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? Everyone who comes to me hears my words and acts on them. I will show them whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and it could not shake it because it has been well built. What does that mean? When we, when we see somebody come to Christ, it's our job to help them dig. You ever, you ever have to dig a foundation? You know, most of us now, we hire somebody, some guy with a big old backhoe and he comes in and, and he digs all that. I can remember as a young kid, uh, my dad wanted to put in a new septic system and he didn't have the money for a backhoe. But he had enough money to hire the high school and junior high kids from the church and we dug the entire septic system. I mean, we dug a hole eight feet wide, 12 feet long, and eight feet deep. And we dug the drain lines all by hand. Was I glad to have friends help out? You see, we have to help people dig the foundation. How do we do that? We come alongside them. We help dig down into the bedrock. What is the bedrock? It's right here, folks. It's the Word of God. Because when people come to Jesus, quite often, they don't even know where to start to read. I have people ask me that question, where do I start? And I say, okay, we're going to start in the book of Mark. A lot of people say the book of John. John can get a little bit heavy as we're finding out as we preach through it. Book of Mark is pretty simple. Start them there. But we, we, and they have all kinds of questions, don't they? They should, because it's all new. So they have to stand. They have to stand. They have to get down to the bedrock. And at that point, they've received and they're standing. And then Romans 10 tells us what? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and, and the second step is what? Believe in your heart. That God has done what? 
raised him from the dead. What is that? That's the resurrection. You will, you might be saved. What? You will be saved. Isn't that wonderful? You will be saved. For with the heart the person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And what a wonderful gift that is. The final step of salvation is this, that you are saved by grace. You see, that's, we have to come to the place, our heart has to be ready to receive grace. That takes a couple things. One, we have to be humble enough to realize I'm a sinner. My sin has a cost. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I have to humble myself enough to say, I need to repent of my sin. I can't confess Jesus Christ as Lord until I confess my sin that put him on the cross. And we confess our sin. And then we accept the fact that not only did Jesus die on the cross for our sins, but he rose again. Because that is the greatest gift of all. Because what? It allows us access to where? Heaven. It allows us access to heaven. We've seen these verses a couple times in the last few weeks, and I think they are so very important. Ephesians 2. But God, if you have a, if you have a Bible in front of you and you're at Ephesians 2, I want you to circle that. But God. It didn't say but me. But God. As if it wasn't for him. It wasn't for that great gift that he gave of his son. We would have nothing. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. That's John 3.16 right there, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that anyone may boast. Amen? We're saved by grace. We can't work our way to heaven. But we need to be recipients of God's grace. And that grace was shown the moment he stepped out of the tomb. Because it said what? When Jesus came out of the tomb, what did he bring with him? He brought life. 
says he, he took the keys to death and hell. Aren't you glad he took the keys to death? Now what does that mean for us? That doesn't mean we're not going to die physically. I've said this before, and, I'll, and you'll probably hear it again. We all have an expiration date. I wish we could find it. <laughs> you know, you ever try to look on the can, and you're like going, what is that expiration date on there? We all have one. We're all going to die unless Jesus comes back and raptures us out. Amen? I'm, I'm praying for that option. I think that's going to be so cool. I hope it happens on Easter Sunday. Well, no, we'd have to wait a whole... Well, no, it could be this second service. Right? <laughs> I, I think that would be great. Easter Sunday morning. My, I talked to my mama last night. My mama got saved on Easter Sunday. I think she said 60... Uh, I think it was 68 years ago. She got saved on Easter Sunday. What, what a gift that would be to get to go up to heaven on the same day you got saved 68 years later. But we, we're all going to die. We have an expiration date. But our soul, our soul doesn't have to. What, what did it say? It says that we were dead in our transgressions. We were dead in our sin. And Jesus came down and he took us by the hand and he resurrected us out of our sin. And then what does it say? He made us alive in Christ. Are you alive in Christ today? Amen, you are. Because of what he did. He rescued you from the death of sin and he, he made you and then not only did he make you alive he, pay, he made a place for you in heaven you are seated with us with him in the heavenly places you're already there once you come to Jesus he says I'm not only going to give you a new life I'm going to give you a seat in heaven In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, oh, a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, things, new things have come. You're new. You have the opportunity for new life in Christ. Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that Christ is raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. That's why we baptize by immersion. It's a symbol of what happens, right? In your life, you were dead in trespasses and sin. Jesus came along and he raised you in newness of life. Now, if the preacher's not very good and he holds you down too long, that's going to be real. You're dead in trespasses of sin, but you're risen to a new life in Christ. Well, there's one more aspect. <coughs> there's one more aspect of the resurrection 
And that is resurrection is victory over death. Resurrection is victory over death. Death, oh, where is your sting? Right? Grave, where is your victory? And I want you to look at the last seven verses of 1 Corinthians 15 because this is what we have to look forward to. This is why the resurrection means so much. This is why Jesus didn't just kind of sneak off. Jesus had 500 witnesses to the resurrection. And why did he do that? Look at 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that the flesh and the blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must put on the imperishable, and the mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, this mortal will have put on the immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain to the Lord. Did you catch that? You see, we all live in a perishable body. You can go down to the chemistry store and you can buy everything that this body's made up of. But there is the imperishable. <laughs> and that's our soul. Death, oh, where is your victory? Where is the sting of death? It is gone. It was paid for on the cross. And it says that when Jesus came out of that tomb, he carried with him the keys to death and hell, and he took them up to heaven with him today. He has the keys. He has your key. He has my key. And all he's asking is for us to come and receive from him what he's given, that free gift of salvation through grace by faith. And I'm looking for that day when that trumpet sounds. And it says, in the twinkling of an eye. Twinkling of an eye. Somebody calculated that out. It's like, like one hundredth of one thousandth of a second or something like it. It's quick. In the twinkling of an eye, we are going to be changed. And we will be with him forever and ever. Because of what he did. Because of the resurrection. You see, the resurrection is going to allow that to happen. 
Because just as Jesus was resurrected, so will we be resurrected. We're going to come to the communion. We have uh, the communion is in remembrance of what Jesus did. When, if you were here on Friday, you heard us talk about how mere hours before Jesus was to go to the cross. He said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And I won't do this again with you until you meet me in heaven and we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And one of these days, we're, we're going to be able to celebrate that with him in heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb.